Hello everyone, we're back this week, we missed last week, and I for one am very sorry about that, that we missed last week, but we are back this week uh, with the promised episode. Uh, I am Morgan Robinson, with me as always is the delightful Nolan Dean, who is always here, hi buddy. Hey buddy, how you doing? Uh, Did you enjoy the uh, War of Infinities last week? Uh, I did, yeah, actually. I enjoyed the the War of Infinities, the Infinity Wars, the gauntlets of time and purple people very much, actually. Yeah, I did. Some good purple representation for the MCU right there. Very good purple representation. Uh, The MCU, well... Depending on whether you consider Jessica Jones t- truly part of the MCU, uh, they do well with purple villains. Yeah, so I, I didn't realise that. <laughs> shit. I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy about that. Uh, but we're not talking about Infinity War we're today not. because we're not everyone else. <laughs> um, <laughs> even though everyone else was talking about it this time last week, still. Uh, we're talking about High Noon, which is a delightful little Western. Uh, it's our first Western. Is it our first Western? I believe so. I was disappointed yeah. that it wasn't a movie about a guy saying hi to a girl called Noon. <laughs> Who's called Noon? I don't know. What's that for a name? That's not a name. Noon could be a cool name. Autumn is a name. Uh, Noon. Spring is calling, a name. You'd be calling people morning next. Mm. Knowing you, you would. You would, wouldn't you? Thinking I, I about mean, it. I mean, if I do have plans that if I have a daughter, I would call her Elliot. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like weird it. names. I like weird names. But Noon is a bit ridiculous. Anyway, high high noon. It's our first western. It is from nineteen fifty two. It's a nice. It's black and white, which is kind of nice for a western. Sometimes, sometimes westerns work, all being nice and colourful. But that's usually the more grandiose type westerns that work, being so um, colourful and bright and vivid. Uh, High noon is not a grandiose western. It's uh, it's one of the most grounded westerns you're ever likely to see. And I think that uh, works no, in its favour. It absolutely does, Nolan. I know this was your first time watching High Noon. Uh, I'd like to hear what you have to say first. Not only my first time watching High Noon, my first time really delving into like a proper quote-unquote western. Because, you know, I've, I've seen western stuff before, but... It, Honestly, the capability of my Western knowledge is playing Red Dead Redemption too many times and uh, watching uh, Django Unchained a lot. And Django the remake Unchained. of True Grit. Yeah. Well, the remake of True Grit's good. It is. It's very as, good. My dad is, doesn't as agree. It, as is Django Unchained. Um, what, what, what's, the, what's the oldest Western you've gone? Have you done sort of spaghetti Westerns and Clint Eastwood and everything? Um... I have not seen any of uh, Clint Eastwood's westerns, nor do I really have an intention to. Wow. Because I prefer my Clint this Eastwood is really yelling. Interesting. I prefer my Clint Eastwood movies for him to just be yelling at chairs. Well, yeah. See, I prefer my Clint Eastwood movies 
in the desert with a cigar and a gun. Yes, but um, I'm not opposed <laughs> to the Western genre at all. I think it's really fun. In fact, it's kind of an interesting discussion because a lot of people nowadays claim a certain genre of movies will go the way of the Western. And watching High Noon, yeah. I can imagine how popular this kind of thing was back in its time. Oh, yeah. I mean, Westerns, Westerns as a genre, y- y- you get very few Westerns these days, but westerns in the 50s and were just you you were inundated with them you couldn't move for seeing people in in cowboy hats and small arizona towns wherever it might be um and a, and a guy in the center of it all doing something but uh usually the westerns that i i always think this and it sort of i don't know if it's a stone cold theory that someone's brought up but i've read it somewhere or heard it somewhere westerns are always split into two different categories the lone wolf western and the the team up western that seems accurate. basically your you, you know your man with no name clint eastwood films or your magnificent seven yeah, stuff like that. The, the Lone Wolf West Seven, starring Chris Pratt, obviously, would be a team up western. Not a very good even one, it, but yes. Even though it's a remake of a remake, um, <laughs> I actually quite liked the Magnificent Seven with Chris Pratt and everyone. I I wasn't a fan. It, it was too Lone Rangery for me. Not in a good way. Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio was the best part of that film, just saying. Well, he's great anyway. Um, he is. Yes, he is. Uh, yeah, so the, like, the Lone Wolf Western usually involves some drifter coming into town, dealing with a problem, and then leaving again. Where High Noon does that a bit differently is the guy's been in the town for a long damn time. <laughs> Gary Cooper... Uh, Marshal Will Kane has been in the town for his, we we assume, his entire life. And he now served... that reference from Die Hard makes sense. Yeah. Oh, many things make sense once you watch older stuff and realise where some things come from. Uh, he's been a marshal in this town for God knows how long. Uh, and he's got married today. Well done. To Grace Kelly, of all people. That's a weird partnership. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's all like, yay. And then they're going to leave town. But, Nolan, Nolan who 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 comes back into town? Uh, they play his name uh, in the opening song, which I thought was very effective. But uh, I love the music. I, I know... I had the guy's name memorized because I only watched it like a while ago. I'm just going to look it up quickly. I know it was like well, a really obvious um, like bandit name. Well, well, Frank Miller. Frank well, Miller, also is, the writer of Batman, right? Yeah. I, <laughs> I find it very interesting that such a famed comic book writer was alive in the Old West. Um, no. No, he, well, he's not the same Frank Miller. Let's make that clear to everyone. It's not that Frank Miller. 
It's yeah. just a, a criminal, okay? And he's coming back into town on the train at noon, funnily enough, um, to kill Will Kane, basically, because he was the dude that put him in prison in the first place. And that is literally the plot. It's a simple revenge story. It's like it's a, John Wick for the 50s. It's a very, very, very simple story. But it, its story is not where it shines, necessarily. It's a, a simple story because it needs to be. Nolan, where does this film shine for you? It Well, it's interesting to me that you brought up the different kinds of westerns, like the team-up and the one-on-one. This movie combines both of those kind of seamlessly like the idea of getting all these people together to take down mr frank miller i don't know why maybe they weren't fans of the dark knight returns but uh uh and then you see him failing at doing that and essentially it does become a lone wolf story and you know your standard western protagonist is usually like this tough as nails like oh i'm gonna kill you and spit on your corpse kind of guy but I really felt the emotional connection for Will Kane in this, and that's rare, especially for a movie that's kind of meant to be parading itself on its machoism, that it shows the emotional core, and it's... I was seeing this guy not so much as, like, a Western hero, but, like, as an actual character I could empathize with, and for a genre that I'm usually not a fan of for that reason, that was a great surprise. Definitely, and, you know, that is why... That is why High Noon can be considered a somewhat unusual western because it's not got this huge hulking central figure that is just so incredibly macho and oh my god look at that man will kane's not like that he's an older guy he's a he's a bit worn he's an everyman he's an everyman and you don't get every men in westerns a lot it's it kind of reminds me of like roy scheider and jaws yeah very similar very, very similar, actually. Yes, I like that. Um, but yeah, I, th- th- I think I think it's it's fair to say that not in not in the most surface way, but this is a sort of man's man film. Not not curious what in the same that. way that say a Schwarzenegger film is. But I think it it deals with okay, masculinity okay. and certain sides of masculinity a lot. Stuff that you don't see in in westerns, like we've said, it shows emotional range uh, to Will Kane, whereas usually the western hero would be up, just sort of stoic, and I'm gonna deal with this and, and kind of and boring. Sometimes, yeah, unless they have a memorable line or two, Mister John Wayne. Um, <laughs> True. Always just a great actor like John Wayne was, but Gary Cooper. I don't know. He's got. He's got something. There's something in Gary Cooper's sort of face and eyes that just make make him seem world weary <laughs> and. Yeah, he definitely and, had that vibe. And just sort of Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do this, but I don't want to do this. I'm going to do this cuz I have to do this. I want to leave cuz they were leaving after they got married. I want to leave. But this has happened right as soon as I was going to leave and I know that it's the best for the town 
if I do this and then leave. Because he's not going to give up on his town the second after he was planning on leaving. And that's another import. I, I think that's another key point is that the I, is, you, you'll go away from masculinity and the, those sort of themes now. You get into like what it what it meant to be an American in the old West and sort of a town community feel to it. Oh yeah, this movie is very to America to everything. A lot of points and you know people love where they're from in the US. I feel I feel like we can say that from a distance. People love where they're from in the US. People love the town they grew up in. They're really proud of it. I think they still are. I think they were so more back then. And look at us. And look at us. We hate literally everywhere. You will never find anyone in Britain say they enjoy where they're from. They do secretly like it, but it's always just an unpleasant place. And that's not the case with traditional uh, American. It's certainly not the case for Will Kane in High Noon. He loves that town, despite its flaws, despite the fact that its people won't help him in his one time of need. He loves that town, and he does it for the town, I think, more than he does it for himself. Oh, definitely. Which I think he's, is a really good point. He's the, he's the complete... He's almost kind of a deconstruction of the Western hero and kind of, like, improving on it, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you first brought up the whole sort of emotional... Uh, range that the character has a, a, aside from most western heroes so go go into that a bit well as I understand it like we've said before western heroes are usually quite stoic and don't show that much emotion because they have to appear as tough whereas with Gary Cooper in this movie you can see he's trying to remain tough but he's holding back so much of what he's feeling and like I think there's one scene, admittedly, where he, I think he comes out from a church and you see all mm. these little kids running around saying, yeah. oh yeah, I'm going to shoot Will Kane," And then this kid just looks up and then Will Kane's there. And you can just sort of see the fear in both yeah. of their eyes, like they know what's coming. And, you know, this uh, this Frank Miller guy, he's let's be honest, he's probably not like Thanos or something like that. He's not no. going to destroy the universe, but you can tell Don't it's know. a very personal one-on-one kind of vendetta and the way the town speaks of him makes him seem like that kind of threat and yeah definitely it's a, and it's a great hero villain go ahead, relationship. Go ahead. But that's all i want it to is, say go ahead it is it is there's i think the what i love as well about it because it, it's such a it's such a short film it's like 85 minutes long it has no reason to have this many layers to it but i think but it, it just got, got layers layers Go oh for it, God. go for it, go oh for it, God. say it. The connection it. between High Noon and Shrek is here. and This is only 15 minutes and we're already doing the Shrek references. Well, we've we've got it away early. I'm glad we've got it out of early. But the point stands, High Noon has a lot of layers. And Frank Miller, <laughs> for, a, for a, a character that shows up for all of five minutes... Um, has that their relationship has so many layers, not just the fact that, yeah, 
Will Kane is a marshal that arrested Frank Miller and put him away. Okay, that's one point. That's one reason why Frank Miller doesn't like Will Kane. The other, and the far more interesting one, is the whole situation with Mrs. Ramirez. Mm-hmm. Because, and you never, I love the fact that you are never outright said, but Mrs. Ramirez is basically Will Kane's deputy's wife, I think. Or they're in some sort of relationship. But we are led to believe that she used to be, used to have something with Will Kane, and that she used to also have something with Frank Miller back when he was in the town. Now, what I think about that is that basically for, she, she was with Frank first and then she, you know, because she says, she, there's a quote that she says about Will Kane. I think it's it's to um, Lloyd Bridges' character, Jeff Bridges' father, by the way. That um, makes a lot of sense considering to, the role Jeff Bridges played in True Grit. <laughs> to, to Lloyd Bridges' Uh, character um, and she basically she says she basically calls him he's he's weak he's a boy compared to Will Kane yeah because there's this level of maturity that Lloyd Bridges and Lloyd Bridges isn't you know played off as some 18 year old in this you know he looks solidly around like 35 Wait, but, was he 18 at the time no 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 I'm just saying like to call someone out on their lack of maturity, it's oh, not yeah. as though Lloyd Bridges was... Uh, it's not as though the character was a young character. Um, but she basically she calls him out on... As soon as we hear that Frank Miller is coming back into town and Lloyd Bridges, the deputy of Will Kane, wants absolutely nothing to do with it. And, you know, it's clear from that that whatever she previously had with Wilkins still somewhat means something. And you get little hints of that throughout. And I, I love that so much. But um, I just think that's another reason Frank Miller has a has a has his, uh, you know, thing out for Wilkane is that I would suggest that Wilkane stole Mrs. Ramirez from... Frank, which is just another reason, another layer. Well, lovers' quarrels, I think, are pretty common in the Western genre, anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I don't think that I don't think that I can remember such a a well played out one as the one you get here, though. Um, between obviously, because it seems like all major characters are involved. And it's weird because it's a it's a real subplot, but it's a subplot that fits in so beautifully to what's that speaks going on. A lot to the structure, I feel, because this movie, like, it's eighty five minutes. It's a simple story, and there's a lot of character depth, but it all feels so tight. And I love that kind of storytelling. And we let's talk about Mrs. Ramirez. Definitely, go ahead. Second. Go ahead. What a freaking badass. Oh, yeah, I know. And right. she doesn't even raise a gun or anything, and she is so freaking cool. She is literally, arguably, my favourite character in the whole thing. Just because there's so much mystery to her. 
that we don't get and it's wonderful to sort of think about what has mrs ramirez's life been like in this town before she eventually also leaves and uh, i think the scene you were talking about where lloyd bridges is talking to her and he says oh you're not a man and then she says like you won't touch me and he does and she just full-on slaps him like i I think i was cheering at then it was like okay miss ramirez you're a badass. I like you. Yeah, exactly. Mrs. Ramirez wins the day. Well, she doesn't win the day, to be fair. Um, no, it's a one-on-one at the end, and I do love that. I must say another thing, oh, that I really... And I re- it's another sort of to do with the this whole love and love... Quar- not necessarily quarrel, but love themes that go on in High Noon as well is is obviously right at the end when the train eventually arrives and Frank Miller gets off the train to meet his group that, of course, includes a surprisingly very young-looking Lee Van Cleef, who people will know from Clint Eastwood, uh, Man With No Name films, and also Escape From New York, which Lee Van Cleef was also in with Kurt Russell. Little bit of trivia there. Uh, he's one of the cronies of Frank Miller. Um, but yeah, aside from that, Frank Miller gets off the train. Who's getting on the train? Grace Kelly and Mrs. Ramirez. Um, because they're both leaving. Because they both don't want to see anyone die. Nobody does. And is it bad both. that I only remember Grace Kelly from that really annoying Mika song from the mid-2000s? Yes, yes. Yes, it is. Grace Kelly is a wonderful actress. She, this is why I'm glad you invited me to do this show. Grace Kelly, have we done... No, this is our first Grace Kelly film, actually, isn't it? I believe so, yeah. yeah it was bound to happen. First Grace Kelly film as well. A lot of firsts in this episode. I forget what number this episode is, actually. Anyway, um, I just wanted to say, I love the fact that it is Grace Kelly who gets off the train when she starts hearing guns. You get that one shot of Mrs. Ramirez when she's just like, oh, maybe I should have actually got off. Oh, no, the train's going. But Grace Kelly's just like, no, I'm the one who's married to Will Kane. I'm going to get off the train. I'm going to... I know I didn't want him to die, but I can't let him. And I love that. And I also love the fact... And she shoots that dude. She does. She shoots the one dude. And Will Kane doesn't win if not for Grace Kelly. Which is great. Yeah, it's like it's a part it's a partnership. That that at that stage is a partnership. Mrs. Ramirez has gone off. She's been her own little little bit of a problem to everybody, even though she is wonderful. Um and the true the true American traditional we are a married couple and we work as a partnership uh, actually works out. And it works, and obviously Frank Miller doesn't win. There's no tragic win. ending to it or anything? There's no tragic... No, Frank Miller, he is six feet under, as they would say. Certainly is, all thanks to Grace Kelly. Not necessarily Will Kane. And oh my god, like, I know I'm going to let you talk plenty after this, I promise. I know I always go on about nonsense for far too long, but the, the ending is perfect... The, the final, final scene is absolutely perfect. 
because like we've said, we've been on this for an hour and 20 and nobody wanted to help Will Kane. Nobody was willing to help Will Kane to save the town, either because they were some were friends with Frank Miller, some knew him, or they just didn't want to because they weren't up to it. They, 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 they cowardly, basically. Um, but I love the fact that when Frank Miller is shot, oh, they all come out then. They all decide to come out of the houses and the shops and everything to see what's going on. And Will Kane is having absolutely none of it. Rightly so, the bloody cowards. Right, rightly so. And he basically, and look, and I, I do love it because he looks at them as if to say, "Oh, now you want to help?" No, fuck okay, off, well, people. It is literally, literally, literally that. Like, I was going to leave. I've done this for the town. Now I'm going to leave. And he gets that teenager to ride the the carriage up for him and Grace Kelly to get on and leave. And then you get at the end. But the best thing is he throws his marshal's badge flat down on the ground. And it's just like, yeah, over. I'm done. I've done my job. And now I'm going. You can all deal without me now because you wouldn't help me. And I love that. I really, I think it's a perfect ending to this. Because, like I said at the start, he does this for the town itself. The buildings and the just the, the aura of the town. He doesn't do it necessarily, I don't think, at the end. He doesn't do it for the people. But go ahead, you go on a half hour ramble about high noon now. <laughs> he rode off into the sunset with Grace Kelly, and now uh, fucking Hans Gruber's line makes a lot more sense to me now. <laughs> but uh, what, one thing I don't think we have mentioned, we touched on it briefly, but uh, I love when this is done well in movies, the music. The ballad of high noon, like... When you first hear it, it completely sets the tone for what you're getting, and it's repeated a lot throughout the movie. Like, you get little glimpses of it, you get little snippets here and there, and they all f- just... It's sort of like... Because it's simply just calling it the ballad. It makes you think yeah. this is going to be a tragedy. Like, oh, well, it's going to be a one-on-one, and uh, Gary Cooper's character is going to die. That doesn't happen. The... Uh, the way I interpret this is, and uh, this may be a very short or long analysis, we don't know, I'll go on and ramble on, we'll see how much we can get. Um, Please do. The ballad of High Noon. Ballad to me suggests that it's sad, mm-hmm. but also kind of bittersweet. And that yeah. kind of sums up this movie perfectly, because at High Noon, I take that as being the one point in like the day where you know exactly what you want, you, um, you're you setting up for your life ahead of you, and there's the tragedy of sort of um, you have to leave your past behind you in order to embrace the future, and that theme for me is very prevalent with uh, Grace Kelly and Gary Cooper's characters, yeah. and it's a very interesting and really unique and creative way of using music for a movie. Uh, it's probably my favourite part of High Noon. Definitely. I, I love that point. Again, there's far more layers. Yes, the time at which the the climax of the film takes place is high noon, the time of day. 
but you also bring up that point and yeah I'm with you right on the music. I think the music is absolutely wonderful. It's subtle in parts, but it can... It sometimes, like, when it needs to, it feels really sort of melancholy and just plods along, but then it can really start to ramp up when something really important starts to happen. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know the name of the person who composed the music, but applause to them. Because I believe I looked up the name right before we started. It is, it is really just a, a lovely, lovely little score, and it's a score you notice as well. And I love it when when you notice how well a score is working in comparison to what you are seeing on screen. Uh, and yeah, the Ballad of High Noon is a is a lovely title. What's 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 the name? Uh, it's the Ballad of High Noon. It was composed by a man named Dmitry Tiomkin and uh, lyricized by a dude named Ned Washington. There have been several okay. recorded versions of it. A uh, couple of covers of artists I've never heard of. But there has you there go. Has there been a? Uh, has there been like a a hard rock metal cover of the ballad of high noon probably somewhere there's probably been a pop goes punk version of it where mayday parade sing a version i don't really want to listen to that i like mayday parade <laughs> but no thank you <laughs> no well done well done to him though because yeah i'm completely with you on the story on on the on the music i should say not the story the story is very simple it's simple but effective. It is simple but effective. Uh, anything else you want to say? Just to save me taking over again. <laughs> I can say one more thing and then you can go over again because uh, this movie's just so tight that there's not really much I can say to complain about it and I've said most of the stuff that I can praise about it. But... Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, you can't complain too much. I don't, I don't see how anybody could complain i think it is such a well put together movie and such a such a really well paced quite enjoyable for how sort of occasionally just sort of oh you know sort of uh oh what's the word not melancholy necessarily but i guess that'll work it is i feel like you could rewatch high noon a lot you could yeah um, just because it's, I just feel, I feel like it's, it'd be a nice thing to put on. It's nice and sick, mainly because of its simplicity. And I also, I, I do want to talk about its simplicity for a bit. And the fact that its simplicity is not only the fact it is simple. I think it also works to what Will Kane himself is saying as a, as, as the character, um, I think he's he's got a very simple outlook of what it means to be a good man at that time in that place. Yeah. Um I don't think he think he doesn't think too much about it. He gets in his head right from the start that oh Frank Miller's coming back. I have to deal with this before I go. And that that's it stays with him. You can't move it. It's stubborn really. Like, there are certain people in this that are telling him not to. A lovely extended cameo by none other than Lon Chaney Jr., the wolfman himself, as the older dude, 
with arthritis who tells Will Kane, what are you doing this for? Uh, I love that. Anything only because Lon Chaney, so. <laughs> only because it's Lon Chaney Jr. Um, but yeah, there are a number of people that are saying, him, Will, you're going to die. Frank Miller is going to kill you. And he's just like, he never says anything, but you can tell by his face, and I think it's phenomenal acting from Gary Cooper, that he doesn't have to say anything for you to know exactly what he's thinking. He's saying, Frank Miller's not going to kill me, I've got this. And I'm, and then I'm going to go. And that is Will Kane's very simple look on life that mirrors perfectly with the simplicity of the story itself. Subtlety is key with this movie. Definitely. Definitely is. Is there anything else before I could go on again? Because I really, really don't want to take over too much. I'm curious uh, what your take on this is. I know this came out in like the mid fifties, but fifty two. This movie's this movie's narrative and how it sort of takes the western genre and flips it on its head. What, I wonder if there was a thing in that time where people were getting sick of westerns all being the same so this one came out and just surprised everyone and then maybe each western after that just got better and better and better until it eventually died out because I think we're seeing a similar thing now with uh, how superhero movies are done and everyone thinks they're going to go the way of the western so that kind of behind the scenes stuff is just interesting for me to think yeah, about yeah I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind getting into a, a bit of a, a somewhat comparison between westerns and current comic book films or superhero films whatever you want to say because i think it's it's a comparison people bring up a surprising amount i don't know i don't think i know enough about westerns to say whether high noon came out and changed the game because 1952 you were getting a lot of westerns and you were getting a lot of westerns after this i think what truly changed westerns was the uh, the European influence that Sergio Leone and various other people brought in with those Clint Eastwood uh, Man With No Name films because they were so stylized and, you know, uh, re, re, I don't know, I've just blanked on a word and I don't like doing that at all. Oh, no. Remixed. Not remixed. Uh, rely, rely, rely. It relies so much on things that aren't necessarily acting and story, and they're great. But it's it's camera work and the music that um, spaghetti westerns, European influenced westerns, rely on so much. I think those were the true game changers of westerns in the obviously mid sixties. Uh, I think at this point you were still getting a lot of generic westerns. I just think this happened to be one that was just stuck in the middle. Um, and generic stuff came after it, generic stuff came before it. But this just stands out because of its its uniqueness. You could almost compare it to... Oh, God, I don't know. <clears throat> what could you compare this to? What is a... I don't know. In terms of superhero t- film, I would say Winter Soldier. But, does that not feel... Yeah, okay, I like that. I do like that, actually. No, screw it. We're going with that. 
we're going with that. But no, I I mean I I'm not an expert on westerns by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, John John Ford was still making westerns at, at this point. I, I'm fairly certain John Ford was still making westerns at this point. Maybe maybe we need to get into more westerns because I like westerns sometimes. You know, the really a really good western is always a really enjoyable watch. It is. Very similar in that sense to a really good comic book movie. It's always a really enjoyable watch. The bad ones are noticeably bad. It's genre. It's escapism and genre fiction, and I love that kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff I write, so this is like great fuel for me to be a better writer. Okay, why is is that then? Because I like that. Well... So many, uh, there's so many people who think uh, that to be a successful writer, you have to keep reinventing the game every time, and you have to like not follow tropes and uh, always try and do something different, which is true, and that's something I try to strive to do as well. But I'm reminded of like why we love stories in the first place, and that's because when you turn on something that you know you really love, like. It's what it's what I do to compare like a great film or a great work of art to something that I'm just gonna throw on. Like um, I can't. I, I'll use a recent example. Um, I think I get I, I get what you're talking about. I do get what you're talking about. Yeah, like I, I'm not gonna be rewatching Phantom Thread, but I might throw on something like it because that's like comforting. I know what I'm getting. Yeah. And um, I think you get that a lot with Westerns as well, and especially with writing. Sometimes, whilst people do love differences and different ways to tell tropes and stories, we do also love that kind of comfort when we're experiencing fiction, because it's something that we know and we feel power in that, and we almost feel like we could put ourselves in the hero's shoes, or it's like a wish-fulfillment thing, and... That that's the difference to me between like a great film and a great rewatchable film because I think the yeah. two genres are very different. Yeah, definitely, and I think the interesting thing about High Noon is that it's both. It is. It's one of those it, rare a, ones that strikes a balance. It's a great film, and it is a great rewatchable uh, film. I, I've just remembered as well. Because I really, I really love sometimes really simple camera work can be so effective. And there's one shot in this. It's really near. It's near the end, um, and it's when Will is he's outside. He's he's in the town, and I think at this point we've just seen Frank getting off the train, and then. And he's just stood there, just a, it's a, like a close-up, a head-and-shoulder shot on him. And the camera just zooms out, and there's nobody there. And it zo- and there's nobody there, and it zooms out, and there's nobody there. And he's on his own, there's this tiny little dot in the middle, just on his own, being the hero of the, t- the town needs, but not the one it deserves at that minute. Bringing um, the Frank Miller full circle. Bringing Frank Miller full circle. Uh, <laughs> oh dear. Um, yeah, but I just think that is a perfect representation of of the isolation that comes into 
high noon slightly later on where he just feels completely alone until of course Grace Kelly gets back off the train and helps him and all is all is well for Will Kane at the end. I just love that shot so much. It's a beautiful shot and it's a beautiful movie. I would I would buy this on Blu-ray. Fuck, I'm not Jeremy Johns, but I would buy it on Blu-ray. <laughs> Damn right you'd buy it. More than worthwhile to add to a Western collection. It has made me want definitely want to do some more Westerns, though, because Westerns is it's a weirdly wonderful genre sometimes when you get into it. There's some very, very just not good Westerns and just sort of weirdly... There's very, very racist Westerns out there as well. Are you excited for Red Dead Redemption 2 this year? I don't play video games. Red Dead Redemption makes you feel like a Western cowboy, and it's awesome. And I know, but I don't play video games. Wasn't it? Isn't that just the Grand Theft Auto in the Old West? More or less, yeah. Yeah, I don't need that. But n- not judging anybody that not judging anybody that likes it and wants to play it and is very excited. This for, podcast for is in the sixties, so of course you're just going to go down to the arcade to play your video games. Wait, did they have arcades back then? The, certainly not. Pinball the machines. 60s. Pinball machines. Probably didn't even have. Oh, well, they probably had pinball machines. No arcades. Arcades are an eighties thing. The bingo hall. Arcades are. Uh, uh, yeah, arcades are an eighties thing. When was the f- what was the, when was the first video game? I feel like I should know that. Um, I'm fairly certain. Late I'm 70s. fairly certain it was Pong. I think late seventies. Any gamers in the uh, comments, let us know. I'm, I want to say that I'm fairly certain it it was Pong, the weird tennis one with the white stripes. That sounds like a fact that Joe would know. But um, Joe would definitely know that. Joe, if you're listening, please comment what when was the first video game and if it was Pong or not, and if I've got that right. Uh, showing our age there. So, um, just to add to uh, the It's a Wonderful Podcast uh, tribute, um, if you could put Raul in this film, where would he be? He'd be Mrs. Ramirez's cousin. That's racist. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my oh, god! Oh dear. Why? Why did I naturally go there? I'm so sorry. I actually thought I awful. actually thought Raul would like Mrs. Ramirez just because of her attitude and those soap opera villains that he likes. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> oh yeah, he, un, yeah. Raul would actually love everyone. Everyone loves Mrs. Ramirez. She's mysterious. She's badass. She's she's great. If if she does cause problems, um, we get into a little bit of a comparative superhero film discussion. I mean, the the closest I could compare this to is Winter Soldier. Yeah, but I mean, like, you you brought up that um, people say superhero films are going to go the way of the Western. Yeah. So is the, is there more sort of we is there more we can say here about a comparison between such a genre, such uh, two genres that on the surface look very very different, but might be sort of behind the scenes wise quite similar i think it'll be similar to say eating the same meal for two weeks straight 
and having nothing else, you'll eventually want something different. And I can I know that from firsthand experience because I'm a student. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. I've been living off Campbell's soup for the past two weeks. I think if we were to if we were to put ourselves if we were to put high noon. Let's contextualize this. If we were to put high noon into uh, the sort of I think High Noon fits right into where we are right now with superhero films. We had loads of stuff before it. Um, a lot you know, of shit. Richard Richard Donner's Superman can be like Stagecoach or something. John Wayne's first big thing. Uh, John Ford's first big film as well, I believe. 1939, I know that for a fact. That was Stagecoach. Um, but we've, we've, you know, we've gone on from then with, uh, we had a few good ones dotted around, a few ones dotted around, but now we're really into every sort of, there's 48 superhero films a year. And that is what it was like in the fifties with Westerns. So if we look at it like that, and I think the American Western, I think was taken over by the spaghetti westerns from Europe. I think those came in were so popular that and the American western didn't know what to do anymore. He was just like oh, we'll just make oh no oh no we, we just can't lost do our anything. funding. We can't do anything again. And that if the superhero genre is to go the way of the western, that might be how it goes. You'll get comic book movies with a bit just that are not necessarily from a different country, but they'll all be of a, a same, slightly noticeably different style. Maybe a bit more grittier and a bit more uh, dirty and a bit more stylized. Um, although you might not, because there was nothing like the MCU of, of Western days. There's, there's just nothing like that. So on that level, it's a poor comparison. But the Western, the American Western started to die once the European Westerns came in. And then you just yeah. got the odd sparing Western that was good every now and again. You still got Clint Eastwood making fine Westerns. And then Westerns changed a bit in like the 80s and became a bit weirder. But you weren't, they weren't every week being released like they were in the 50s. And sometimes it feels like every week now a new superhero film is being released. Um, near I mean, enough Deadpool is at the minute. Deadpool two is I think. coming out next week. Yeah, near enough is every week these uh, in this next month or so. <laughs> as long as in- as long as I as long as I get my Craven the Hunter Spider Man movie, I don't care. Well, look, I, you can you can have that all you want. I don't care so much about who the next Spider Man villain is. Um, just as long as, um, of course... Your, your beard looks like Craven the Hunter. Peter Parker, my beard looks like Thor, and I'll have it's... nobody say any different. I'm going to have real <laughs> Thor hype at the minute. I'm going to have serious Thor hype. He has a man crush. He's finally given in. Raul will be happy. I've, I've had plenty of man crushes. Thorgan will now become the new Norgan, thank fuck. Well, that's already a thing. That is already a thing. Not even made by me. 
You know who you are who's made that. Janine, um, our friend from the show. Janine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's a possibility that if certain over-stylized, overly gritty superhero, for example, if all of a sudden we got seven versions seven very different but very similar feeling for like logan films like logan right yeah nobody would want to go and watch another guardians film because people just love these ones now and nobody cares about that anymore that is the best sort of weird little comparison i can make between there but no, there was never a Western cinematic universe, so... Unless you count maybe the Man that, With No Name trilogy, of course. Happen. So, maybe it won't happen. I mean, I know some people hope it happens, you know, because those people don't like fun. That's what you have Westworld for. Westworld? There you go, sci-fi Western. They could combine I'd... the Western with other genres. I'd like to see a fantasy Western sometime in the future. Army of Darkness? Mm, yeah, that, that, I mean, if that was fantasy, yeah. I mean, it's a lone wolf film. That's kind of a perfect thing. An army of darkness is my favorite Evil Dead movie. It's a lone wolf film set in fantasy. It's not a western, but he's got a gun, and he's on his own. Well done, Ash. Speaking of Ash, oh my God, no, we don't get in any more. And why has this turned into a crying of Ash versus Evil Dead now? But it has done. I think we've finished. You got a solid three seasons. We did get a solid three seasons of Ash versus Evil Dead. That's quite true. And I'm the very thankful. The last thing you would want is that. to get sick of Ash versus Evil Dead. You know. I'm very thankful of that, and I was very happy that I got to every week recap. Um, this season of Ash vs. Evil Dead for Ready Steady Cut, which is a lovely little website that I, I do stuff for. Little plug there. No, no, no shame. No shame in that. Um but no and any anything else you wanna you wanna say before we start to wrap up on on High Noon, on it Western's weird comparisons to superhero films. Or or on Evil Dead, because apparently we're now talking about that. <laughs> Uh, well, final thoughts. Um, there's some great superhero films. There's some great westerns, and there's great Evil Dead movies. High Noon is a great western. Um, Winter Soldier is a great superhero film, and Army of Darkness is a great Evil Dead movie. My final thoughts. Um, don't be put off by the western genre, even if it's like an older movie. High Noon is really unique and inventive, and this is coming from someone who didn't really care for the western genre all that much. And if I can like it. So can you, commenter with beard who refuses to watch it? I don't know. What commenter with beard. I don't is know. Probably insult? a neck beard. A neck beard guy. It's probably Jeremy Griggs. Uh. Well, there's one less listener we've got. Trust me, you don't want him on this. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> just being cool. Um, Roasted son. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe, I know we. I know we have. I don't know if we spoke about it on the show before, but we spoke about doing sort of uh, genre-specific months where you know all 
all shows for a month would be a certain genre. Maybe we, maybe we should do westerns as one of that, and maybe do that would it be good for somewhat summer. soon. For summer, that would work. I think we should do westerns for something like that, and not pick not pick some obvious westerns either. I mean, obviously, we alternate which ones we choose anyway. Um, or we could have our audience pick them. Or we could do that, which is a very good idea. Nolan, I'm going to entrust you to put the poll out on that. Not now, Not but now, at some but point, at some point, I'm going to intr- I'm going to entrust you to put the poll out on that. Um, but that looks like we have got to about the end of our discussion on High Noon. I hoped you enjoyed this episode. I think Nolan hopes you enjoyed this episode as well. But I before he says anything, it's of course his choice next week. I wonder, because he's already told... Well, he already gave me a clue and I guessed it straight away. Uh, because I'm good. Oh, like great. That. Now, now I have to get angry. Nolan, uh. Nolan, what what, what have you picked for the next episode? I'm actually really excited about this, by the way. There was a really shitty trailer that came out yesterday as of this going up. For Unless you're listening on Saturday. Episode. What if you're Unless listening on Saturday listen. or Sunday or Monday? It came, came out, out recently. That's came what came out you need Thursday, to know. the 3rd of May. It's coming out and I don't like it. There's a new Robin Hood film coming out starring Taron Edgerton, an actor I like. But for some reason they decided to turn him into the fucking Green Arrow. So I want to go back to the best Robin Hood film, and no, I'm not <gasps> talking about that monstrosity where he's a fucking fox, because that makes zero monstrosity? sense. Monstrosity? I don't like that movie at all. Offended? <sighs> um, Gasp. Well, it's not, a, it's not a 60s film anyway, so we couldn't talk about it. Oh, no, that's uh, true. 1973 Disney's Robin Hood. Sadly doesn't make our cut. <laughs> But we will be talking about The Adventures of Robin Hood starring Mr. Errol Flynn. I want to say 1938. The only choice for Robin Hood. I want to say 38. Is it 38? I I believe it was close to that, yes. I love release dates. I love release dates so much. Sorry. Um, After do... I mean, we've done a horror, we've done a western, we've done a psychological thriller. Now we're going into the adventure. A true adventure film as well. Oh, yeah. A true adventure film with beautiful Technicolor, and ooh, we love Technicolor. It's so gorgeous. No film ever looks better than when it's in Technicolor. I'm so looking forward to doing the uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood, mainly because I've never actually seen the Adventures of Robin Hood. I only saw it once when I was younger, and I just want to remind myself that you don't have to watch these shitty Robin Hood remakes <laughs> to get your feel for the character. You can go back and watch what the character is supposed to represent. He's not a fucking superhero. Do you know what? No one made it into the Mustache Hall of Fame this week. That's sad. I feel like Errol Flynn's going to make it into the Mustache Hall of Fame. I mean, if we're talking like costume design already errol flynn's winning he looks like a grown-up peter pan yes he does um, <laughs> look i'm really excited to uh, to talk about that look out for that uh, next and it week. also stars a mr claude rains who i love in the Invisible oh yes Man. claude rains does it really yeah he plays oh, that's uh, Prince great John. oh that's gonna be good 
Claude Rains as as Claude Rains as a lion, but he's not really a lion. He's actually a human. Please don't bring up that movie in front of me. What is wrong with you? Why don't you like Disney's Robin Hood? Because I like the original Robin Hood story, and you know what I'm like with adaptations. What about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? I haven't seen it. I refuse to watch. What about what about Robin Hood, Men in Tights? That sounds like a porn parody. No, that's the that's the weird spoof one with Carrie Elwes. I'll I'll stick to watching Carrie Elwes and Princess Bride. What about? Do not say the Russell Crowe uh, version. Yes, I was going to say the Russell Crowe version. I was thinking who it was then. It was... What about... Okay, what about the weird little scenes in that one uh, Blackadder special where Rick Mayall plays Robin Hood? Those are fun. We'll, We'll deal with those ones. No other Robin Hood apart from Errol Flynn. Look... I'm just gonna. I, I, I'm just excited to talk about this, and hopefully, we're gonna get into some sort of argument as to why Disney's Robin Hood is great and why you hate it so much for some reason. But I Nolan, hate it. it's Nolan, a poor Nolan, adaptation. Nolan, please plug away. Please, please plug away. Well, um, on my Twitter at NolanDean27, uh, there's something that happened that I've been bragging about for a week, and I'm pretty sure everyone wants me to shut up about it, but I refuse Probably. to. Uh, I entered uh, my book Moonflower into uh, DV Pit, which is a Twitter pitch contest for uh, diverse writers, um, obviously coming from the queer community, and uh, having that in my story Moonflower. Uh, I pitched it, and it's gotten some agent attention. There is an agent from New York currently reading my book, so this is big. I'm nervous as hell, but... I, I mean, I could be a published author pretty soon. This is big, and we're all incredibly proud. You know that. And so, please, you know, if you haven't already, give 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 the guy sat, sadly, at the minute, still on the other side of the screen and not next to me, which might change soon. Um, which I'm going to talk to you about after we finish recording. Please, yeah, yeah, yes, do that. Um, give him some love, because... If this thing happens, this is this has been a labour of love, and hell, I might buy a YA novel. It's a middle grade novel, but thank you. Oh well, what, whatever weird goddamn weird <laughs> subgenre things are, I don't know. It's about young people, and I don't read those kind of things, but I will for you, okay? Thanks, buddy. Um, what am I doing at the minute? I'm just. Uh, as usual, doing more stories. as usual, I'm doing the ghost stories. I'm reading the ghost stories. I have bought a hell of a load more ghost story books to read out of. Um, and, you know, you've got Lovecraft in there. Um, there'll be more from E.F. Benson, more from M.R. James, Henry James, Sheridan Lefanu. There's a couple from uh, other people as well. I've got a lot of Lovecraft, actually, coming up soon. A lot of Lovecraft. I know people love Lovecraft. I love Lovecraft. And I've not read any of him yet for the series. So You sent me a picture of all the books you bought, and I was very proud. There's a lot of them. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Got them, got them all for cheap as well, which is always nice. Um, you go to Salvation Army? No. No, they, they just happen to be happen to be cheap books. Mm, She's very nice. I went really high there for a minute, but um, yeah, shaggy. 
So I'm just doing that. You can find all them on the Purple Don YouTube channel. If you are listening to this on YouTube, it's one of the featured channels on this channel. If you are audio only, search Purple Don Ghost Stories on YouTube. You'll find it immediately. And uh, it's, yeah, it's all there. Follow me on Twitter, at the Purple Don, with a three instead of the E, in the, because Patrice Evra. Follow the podcast at It's a Wonderful One to see all the all the polls that will be going up for uh, specific genre months, you know, which, um, will, be fun. which will be really fun. Uh, so I love that. Nolan, where can anyone who's nice enough to listen to this find you? Uh, they can find me at NolanDean27 or on my YouTube channel where um, I think tomorrow I'm going to be posting a review of a book I finished uh, today. Which is another book I think you should go buy. Um, Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adayami. It's freaking great. Like, I've, I haven't loved the book this much in ages, and I think everybody should read it. Cool. I'm sorry, that was a bit harsh. That was just... Anyway, that is it for episode, I can't remember, 12. Mm, is it... 12, I think it is what I liked. Um, yeah. Nolan, as always, would you be so kind? And uh, that wraps us up on High Noon. Join us next week for an adventure with Mr. Robin Hood. And until next time, guys, goodbye. Wasn't that just a lovely outro that he gave us there? Bye, guys. <laughs>